I'm R.J. Bell with the Sports Betting Headlines for Wednesday. Kevin Durant with an all-timer, an all-time game in Brooklyn now with a 70% chance to advance over Milwaukee. Chris Paul on the COVID list, missing some games as a possibility. Phoenix's title odds have been downgraded. It's taken that seriously. Clippers tonight without Leonard. Huge, huge underdogs. Eight-point underdogs. This isn't an adjustment you would only expect for a Michael Jordan. That's true. Here comes a four-hour of the Vegas Truth Covering all that and more. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. This is Straight Out of Vegas. With the voice of Vegas, your host, RJ Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it, I'm RJ, live in Las Vegas, live on a Wednesday, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. It is a aftermath kind of day. What a game from Durant. Maybe changing the whole tenor of the playoffs, and obviously these playoffs affected by injuries and absences more than any other I can remember. And we'll cover it. Sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans listen to no more than their buddies. I'm the pro. He's the Joe in L.A., Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which it was a wild morning surrounding superstars in the NBA playoffs and their availability, plus a historic performance last night by KD. What is the Vegas lead here on this Wednesday? Let's start with KD because I think he's answered a question that some of the skeptics have asked about him. Let's be candid. KD has been with great players his whole career. Great players. I mean, Harden, uh, Westbrook at the beginning, the greatest team of all, Tom, some would say, with the Warriors, and now with the super team with Brooklyn. But in this key game, a game that swung the odds significantly of who was going to advance with Milwaukee, he was pretty much alone and he delivered. Yeah, and he played every single minute of that game last night, and it was the Brooklyn Nets, a 114-108 win over the Milwaukee Bucks. Brooklyn now has a 3-2 series lead heading into game six. So let me ask you, because I think the place this has to start this conversation, is this an all-timer? If there were a The Last Dance for Kevin Durant-type documentary that covered his career... Doesn't this game get a lot of the footage time, a lot of the focus? You know, the analytics people would have said, you know, he didn't need this game. Kevin Durant, look at his true shooting percentage. Look at his blah, blah, blah. But really, as human beings, we think of things as stories, as narratives. And people can say, oh, that's just part of the narrative. Well, the reason narratives are so persistent and so prevalent is that's how humans think about things. It's just in our nature. And to me, if I'm a KD fan, like the Jordan flu game, like a lot of Jordan games, and that's why Jordan is Jordan, this feels like 
the game that you can point to that he didn't have anything like this. And maybe I'll ask a second question at the same time, Jonas. What would be Kevin Durant's game like this other than this game? Meaning, if this game didn't happen, if we were having the same conversation 24 hours ago, and I said, point to the game that he rose up like a superhero, what game would that be? Yeah, I can't think of any off the top of my head just from a statistical standpoint. There were the moments, you know, in the NBA Finals yeah. when he when he hit that three in LeBron's face. Um, you know, obviously he was, you know, two-time Finals MVP, so he's the best player in both of those series. Um, but this one is going to be the one that when his career is all said and done and he's getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, when they roll his highlight reel, this is going to be one of the ones they go to because Kyrie Irving was out, James Harden was nowhere close to 100%. And Kevin Durant basically willed his team to victory. And it's not like he did it, you know, throwing up 40 shots in this game. He was efficient. Uh, He he got his triple-double. He got his numbers in. Uh, He made great plays down the stretch. And just to to be able to pull that off and the fact that it was on a standalone stage, there were no other playoff games going on in the NBA last night. Everybody was waiting to see what was going to happen. I think all, all leads to the discussion surrounding it. The fact that you ticked off and you said two-time MVP of the playoff or of the finals, and he hit this one shot, that, if anything, that you could say that without there being those big games that strike in our memory, like big red bold, is kind of the difference between the narratives and the analytics. The analytics said this guy's an efficient player. This guy fills up the stat sheets. But it felt almost bloodless. It felt, you know, not that he didn't have passion, but it didn't feel like Jordan. And again, to some degree, we're all thinking any basketball player is living in the shadow of Michael Jordan. And and maybe for good reason, but we are going to grade players in his image. And what was that? It was that even against the Cleveland Cavs, the shot, you know, he's moving to his left and he rises up and hits and he's pumping his it's that passion that when he's crying with the uh, O'Brien trophy the first time. There's things about and the NBA spent so much money branding those moments. And it is a chicken and the egg, no doubt, right? If a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, it wouldn't have mattered. Well, we heard all those Jordan shots and and tears. And now we're saying, who's next? Who's after that? Who's going to be the legacy? And to some degree, LeBron has fallen short of that. I don't think there's many people that like LeBron and Jordan, like big. You can appreciate one and like the other. But think about that. If there's a Jordan guy... Jonas, isn't he usually kind of tepid, a little lukewarm on LeBron? And if yeah. there's a big LeBron lover, they're usually tepid on Jordan, isn't it? Yeah, just different uh, different players, different personalities. And, and Jordan feels more revered to where people spend, do some, spend some time looking at the flaws of LeBron, almost like he's a knockoff of Michael Jordan. And, and, and I think the flaws typically are the things that are unlike Jordan, where Kobe, and I know this might be sacrilegious to say, and especially, you know, not trying to be insensitive, you know, with him having an untimely death, but I don't think, I don't think that, that he was near Kobe, the player LeBron is, or was, however you want to say it, is if you look at their careers, LeBron's career towers, I think, over Kobe's. Yeah. But, but Kobe's probably more loved. 
And even yeah. before, you know, and, and once someone passes away, especially uh, tragically, there's going to be more love. But I think even before that, it seemed like Kobe had more love than LeBron. And you know why? I think it's because Kobe felt like he was at least aspiring to be the Jordan type player. Maybe a second, you know, a second level version for sure. Not he wasn't Jordan, but we liked as a society, as a basketball society, it feels like we like a second rate Jordan more than a first rate LeBron, which he's kind of one one in his style of ball, but that kind of wait till next year, no big deal, you know, trying to work social media. I just don't see Jordan. And again, it's easy to glorify people. I don't see Jordan worrying about things in, in, in tweets, like subtweeting people. I just don't see you know, yeah. it, it. And I guess it's a different era, too. There wasn't Twitter, but I don't think Jordan has a Twitter account now, does he? I've never I, seen I a tweet. I don't even from, know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't got and, the look. And this all ties in with Durant, because to me, Durant before last night was a LeBron-esque player. Like they were where he had a lot of skills, no doubt about it, but he wanted to play with other good players, even if it meant going through the competition. And we can all debate what Jordan would have done in that spot. But now he's gone to another super team. And it's like, this is the first time. I, you know, I heard Nick Wright on with Colin today, and he said something interesting. He said, this is the, one of the few games in his playoff career that he didn't have an MVP on the court with him. Staff, yeah. obviously. Yeah. You know, Westbrook, though it was after the fact, is to think, and now with Harden, the idea that, that like in almost every playoff game Durant's ever played, he's had an MVP on the court with him. That tells you this guy wasn't the underdog too often. When you're seven foot and you can shoot outside best in the league, you're not an underdog very often. Durant was an underdog yesterday. And he came through with as great a game as you can play. And to me, that feels Jordan-esque. And, and to me, I'm more excited about that than a lot of things Durant has done. Is your excitement level up there? Yeah, I mean, I've always loved Durant. I just like his style of play. It's aesthetically pleasing when you watch him. There's just something about him. Um, I, I thought yesterday was interesting because there was almost a sense of disappointment when it was announced that James Harden was going to be playing because I think everybody wanted to see, can Kevin Durant actually do it by himself? Can he do it by himself? And then when you saw James Harden play, you realized, oh, he's nowhere close to being 100%. And so the view on Durant over the last, several years has always been he's a mercenary he's a front runner he goes and he joins championship teams he plays with great players to go win his titles and that's what's happening again here in Brooklyn so to see this layer of it and this level of it I found myself rooting for Brooklyn last night just to see if he could pull it off and the fact that he did like I said I think is going to be discussed when his career is all said and done right near the top of his accomplishments I agree that's Jonas Knox I'm RJ Bell we are straight out of Vegas wouldn't you say though in hindsight Maybe Harden as a decoy was valuable, but I would make the case that if Harden didn't play, that Brooklyn would have been just as good. Like I'd, I, It's hard to make the case that Harden's participation was a net positive for Brooklyn. So if not, it doesn't take away at all from what Durant did. Though maybe you could make the case psychologically having Harden on the court made Durant feel like he wasn't alone and it allowed him to have such a big game. 
But beyond the psychology, I give Harden credit for not only playing yeah. on, on a bum wheel, but playing over 40 minutes. But, but boy, it's hard to say that he really contributed to the win. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, if you just like box score wise, definitely not. But I, I wonder if it made an impact similar to how um, Peyton Manning, when the Broncos won the Super Bowl in 2016, it, it was obvious Peyton Manning was a shell of himself. But the fact that he was there, there was still somewhat of a threat. I think there was a th- more so a threat than there was with Brock Osweiler as your starting quarterback. And even though <laughs> even though Osweiler could make all, more, all the throws that Manning couldn't and was physically a better player at that point in time, there was still the threat that maybe Manning can make a throw. Maybe he's got the ability to do this. And so I do think Harden provided a definite threat. But that game was all about Kevin Durant and it was all about Jeff Green who was massive off the bench, seven threes in that game, which was huge uh, to, to what they were able to get done. Yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously green. And, I mean, it's easy to look at the game now and say, oh, it was a close game. But, obviously, a 17-point lead Milwaukee had. And if you look at the game chart where you look at the lead, I mean, they had that lead, a big double-digit lead early, and pretty much kept it all the way through, you know, moving into the middle of the third and beyond. So... In a way, some of those shots by Green kept them in it. That you know, a couple misses that that ended up being makes. If he missed them, maybe they're out of it psychologically. Yeah. So it was very key. I also like that Durant played every minute. Yeah. There was no load management. There was no what about game six. It was we're going all in. And again, that's not what Durant's known for. Durant. I mean, let's remember about a year ago. Almost exactly 10, 11 months ago, we were saying, why isn't Durant playing? Because remember, it had been a long, you know, over a year since he had the Achilles tear. And yeah. then once they went to the bubble, he was in a position health wise where he should have been able to play. We were questioning his heart. And it seems like playing 48 here answers all those questions. Yeah, no, it was awesome. Um, and, and just, you know, his ability to still keep his teammates involved. He looked fresh the entire game. I, I also think another major aspect of this is you know, Milwaukee just did not make plays down the stretch. And, and, and what, whether it's there's been a lot of talk about Budenholzer, the head coach, and, and just defensive assignments and what Giannis was thinking, a point during that game where where he, you know, where James Harden backed off the double team and Giannis settled for a fadeaway was a bad look for Milwaukee all the way around. No, I think we do a whole half segment on this. So let's take our break. When we come back, we've glorified, rightfully so, Durant. Now the question is, what does this mean to the Milwaukee Bucks, not only in this series, but the franchise, Giannis, and their entire direction? He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I disagree with intervention. I disagree with protocol. If you speak out against the words, then the heavens gonna fall. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. Coming up here in just a couple of moments from now, we will continue to take a closer look at that epic Game 5 between the Nets and the Bucks last night. And in a few minutes, we're going to look at the adjustment in the Clippers game. How much is Kawhi worth? A lot. An all-time number. It's a shocker. 
Great day to join. This is the fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Audiences doubled in the last year plus. That's because of you. Thank you. And we're going to keep delivering for you. You can listen on the iHeartRadio app. Just search straight out of Vegas and find us right there. Here in Vegas on the Strip. Hottest day of the year. 114 degrees. The neon is percolating. So, RJ, we talked about the Brooklyn Nets side of things in that epic Game 5 last night. The Nets now with a 3-2 series lead, even though they were shorthanded over the Milwaukee Bucks. And now we turn the tables and we go to the Milwaukee Bucks, who have to feel nothing but disappointment losing a game in which they had major, major health advantages. And let me turn it to you, because you were the one that uh, went to the subject, and I think it's a great one. How big, if you're looking at this not as a fan, But as a team builder, as what is the direction of a small market team with a superstar? We can debate Giannis's ability to create his own shot. We can debate his uh, effectiveness in the playoffs even. But this is a the two time MVP. There's only like a handful of people walking the earth that's ever won two straight MVPs. He's in his prime, not even 26 yet. And. We're looking at likely another early exit. That's what the odds say. And quite frankly, this may be the most inexcusable one with the injury. I mean, it's one. Imagine if the Bucks lost two of their three key players. How good would they be? They wouldn't be beating anyone. But somehow the Nets are lose two or three. And you could say they had Harden, but did they? And Giannis, again, it felt like to me, Jonas, is he was, it was in his head. It's, it's gotten to the point that they are thinking about it, it feels like. The whole season was about the playoffs, and now we've gotten to the playoffs, and all the tinkering, all the zone defenses they try to run, all the different rotations, sacrificing wins in the regular season, Milwaukee, it's not yielding now. If anything, it feels like it's in their heads. Not to mention Giannis's inability to shoot free throws seems to be affecting not only the end of games when he shoots them, but his willingness to go to the bucket because he's afraid to shoot them. What do you do if you're the GM? Yeah, I think there's going to be obviously a change after this season if it goes the way that Coach? it looks like it's going to go. Yeah, it, that's that's what the feeling is. And from enough people that you know know a lot more than I do about the situation, it feels like Budenholzer is going to be the guy. Because think about it. Look, they, they've added pieces around Giannis. You can say, well, they haven't added superstars, but Drew Holiday's a good player. P.J. Tucker's a good player. They've got a, a pretty deep roster. The only thing left to do since you continue to roll this out and continue to come up short short if it goes the way that it's going is you got to make a change at head coach and, and that's where I think Budenholzer is probably the fall guy here well fall guy implies that he is unfairly getting the heat right is do you think it would be unfair I think Giannis deserves um, if not equal a little bit more blame than Budenholzer does in this scenario but Giannis is signed on long term and and, oh, well, I don't see and them, it's not yeah. like you're going to get re- I mean if no, they could reset if Giannis was up this year they would be driving to his house with a buffet of shrimps yes. to try to sign him <laughs> yeah it's right? not happening yeah it's not happening yeah because it's how you're doing better to me here's the problem and quite frankly it's what we said a couple days ago is Giannis is the ultimate glue guy. He's the ultimate, you know, like the kind of Scotty Pippen, like we said. Pippen probably had some more offensive skills, but he wasn't as big. But Giannis is a great defender, not a good defender. He's a great defender. Giannis on the break 
is a great offensive player on the break. But in the half court, I think he's great as an offensive rebounder. He's great as the dunker spot. Anything other than the Jordan spot, which is throw him the ball and clear out. He is not that. I don't know how you win in the playoffs without one of those guys. You have to have a think about the playoff teams that's won titles and tell me the one that d- didn't have a first scoring option. That it's a tie or you're down by one, 20 seconds, they got the ball. Even LeBron, who didn't relish that, he embraced that role when he needed to. He wasn't like Kobe, meaning he was going to shoot it no matter what. He'll pass it and then take a blame if someone misses the three, but he'll get them the open shot. I don't know an NBA champion that hasn't had that. Holiday is not your first scoring option, and Middleton is not your first scoring option, and P.J. Tucker certainly isn't. So you've got a superstar that lacks one thing, the ability to, uh, to initiate an offensive set in the half court in a must-score spot. Why? I think it's, it's mal- I don't say malpractice very often because I hate when people say it. It's GM malpractice that they spent all the draft choices they did to get Holiday, who's a heck of a f- uh, player himself. He's a glue guy. Yeah. But you got to spend some of your currency getting that A1 score. And not to be controversial, but I don't even think Johnny Cochran in his prime could make the case that any of these guys are A1 scores. I mean, who's even the closest? Uh, probably Middleton. Uh, that He seems to be the guy. So last night in that game, Middleton made a great move to the basket and, and, and had an opportunity. And, and when he tried to give the ball up to Giannis, that's when they turned it over. And that ended up being basically the kill switch in that game. But, but it feels like Middleton's the guy that they trust. Giannis's foul shooting is really, I think, the the biggest issue here because look, it's it's like it's kind of like Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard was the Orlando Magic's best player for a long time, and and he was you know uh, you know all star, perennial all star, but offensively he was flawed to where you know if you were leading in a game or if it was the middle of the game, you could go to Dwight Howard and he could get things done. Great defensive player, all that, but late in games it wasn't like you could trust him to get you a shot. And I wonder if there's a similar comp between that and with with Giannis. And as we saw, Orlando wasn't able to to break through during those great runs either. If there was a comp there, it's really to the detriment of Giannis because it's a different game today. Whereas whatever limitations Howard had in his Orlando prime, it was still viable to play a back-to-the-basket type, go-to-the-post in a key possession, Kareem style. Obviously, back in the 80s, they went to Kareem a lot in those spots. Kareem made his free throws. Kareem had an unstoppable hook shot. Giannis doesn't even post up, it seems like. so. And, and I think the free throw shooting isn't the biggest problem. It just makes it worse. Because even if you're not the one who's initiating, let's say they accept Giannis isn't initiating. Because it doesn't seem like they try to force him to initiate anymore. But if you're afraid to throw him the ball because he's going to get nervous because he might shoot a free throw... That seems like a bigger problem. Now maybe you shouldn't even be on the court at that point, right? At the, at the high-pressure spots in the game. And how can that be your best player? Like, like to me, Kevin Durant, one of the things that was so great with his performance yesterday was a lot of basketball guys that are really knowledgeable said that Kevin Durant's the best 
facilitator in the history of the game. Meaning you put him on with other good players, and he's been smart enough to get with other good players, he's going to find the right shot. He's going to take it when it's right, but he's not going to force it. He's like a very much spread it around, get other people involved, facilitating, which again, a Kobe didn't care as much about that. He wanted his points because he thought that was the best way to win. The fact Durant had to be the A guy and the B guy yesterday, and he was able to, that was awesome. The fact that Milwaukee doesn't have an A guy, I mean, could, could you say maybe, and McKenzie said maybe the 2004 Pistons, I mean, was Billups not an A scorer on that team? Mr. Big Shot sure definitely hit a couple of big shots down the yeah, stretch. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember exactly how they initiated their sets, but I mean, the fact we're going back 15, 16 years to even start thinking about a champion without a A1 facility or A1 initiator tells me Milwaukee's problems. And it's also being on the same stage next to Durant, because look, Giannis is a great player, but when you see him on that stage next to Durant, it makes it it makes it look that much worse. And and the fact that one of the conversations afterwards were, okay, so you know you're not effective at the foul line. Uh, maybe they can't trust you to get a shot when they need to. You're supposed to be a defensive MVP, a defensive player of the year type guy. Why not take the responsibility of covering Durant? And he didn't do that. And that was one of the discussions afterwards in which he said, I would like to take that responsibility in game six. And I'm hoping Coach Budenholzer will let me, which uh. I don't know if that was I don't know if that was throwing him under the bus, not <laughs> speaking word for word. But I just I wonder if that if there's sort of a rift developing between those two guys, if not already. That's Jonas Knox. I'm RJ Bell. Let me ask you this. We're straight out of Vegas. And I'm not trying to be a hot take artist here because I'm not. Cold cash over hot takes. Is Giannis a great playoff player? I mean, if, um, if, if, his, own, if his only games were in the playoffs, and if that's all we knew of him, is he a great player? Is he one of the top 15 players in the NBA in the playoffs? I would say yes, but I would put him in the probably past the 10 range, 10 to 15 mm. is where, where I would put. I would need to look, look up his number. But, I mean, look, he's had big games in this series. It's just when you play on a stage like you did last night and you come up short, I think it, it sort of But he's come up short for three years. Yeah. No, I, mean, I, I, I agree. I just, uh, it, but it's like last night, you know, he's got 34 and 12. It's not like he was out there scoring, you know, four points and was completely oh, ineffective no, 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 offensively. No. It, but it feels like you're right. He fills up the stat sheets and then he seems to disappear. And maybe this is coincidental, but I tell you this. The time they said, and I was not a Kobe fan, right? I mean, I appreciate his tenacity, but I wasn't a big fan of his. But when he the, the the thing that always interested me was when he shot those like eight shots or whatever his rookie year in a playoff game and he airballed like the first three yeah. and he kept shooting. Like a Jerry West said, that's when we knew he was gonna be great. It's like what? When he had a horrible, you know, it's like because he knew that to be a great player, he had to keep taking those shots and eventually he'd make them. Now, you could make the case, Giannis, you could make the case is doing that with his three. Because a lot of people are saying, eight threes a game, that's too much, blah, blah, blah. Maybe this is him saying, right now it might hurt my team to take these shots, but for me to be a great player, I'm going to have to hit him. I don't know if he's ever going to start hitting him because he's now, you know, he's not a rookie anymore. 
But by the way, if we want to talk about PER and playoffs, Giannis is in the playoffs this year, 14th best PER. So, okay, but not every player that could be in the playoffs is in the playoffs. So if you think of all the teams that didn't make the playoffs, is there anyone on those teams better than that? Oh, sure, Steph Curry. Yeah, I mean, Steph Curry's, you know, so it feels like at least based on this year, he'd be out of the top 15 if you accounted for everyone that could be in the playoffs, hypothetically. But what we know for sure is you're not going to win. Let's see if we agree with this, Jonas. You're not going to win a title on Giannis's back with him playing like this. No, as of right now, no. You can't say that. And here's here's another thing, and this would take a ton of research to look into, but I wonder what his numbers are in the final two minutes of games. Like especially, especially in the postseason. Like I'd be even the final to, five minutes. Yeah, like final five minutes, four, like whatever. Like I wonder in those. I think I can look that up. Yeah, in those crucial numbers, I would lo- I would love to see what his numbers are at that point. I, so let's do this. We're going to shift to Kawhi and the Clippers, and we have the stat on how has Paul George done with the Clippers without Kawhi. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Straight Out of Vegas here on Fox Sports Radio. I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. He's the voice of Vegas, RJ Bell. You know, with LaMelo missing those games, there was real uncertainty on the rookie of the year till he came back, and then his odds really uh, steamed up. But I've heard people that I really respect in the NBA say LaMelo is one of the best rookies of the last decade. My sense was, okay, he exceeded expectations. You know, he's maybe even better than his brother. Best, one of the most impressive rookie seasons of the last decade. That's exciting. I mean, just for the game itself, especially with him being a pure point guard, it seems, which we don't have many of those left. Wrapping up the Milwaukee Nets talk, here's the series price right now. So the Nets are minus 230. So 230 wins you 100, 68% chance. Bucks are around plus 200, 32% chance. And for game six in Milwaukee, the line's been bet up. The Bucks opened up three and a half. Now it's up to five and a half. So the Bucks are five and a half in game six. Obviously, skepticism about Harden and his health. Let's shift, though. We got two big games tonight. Let's start the Clippers game. Yeah, and it's a pivotal game five between the Clippers and Jazz, 10 Eastern time later on tonight on TNT, right now on pregame.com. The Jazz are an eight-and-a-half-point favorite, and much of that has to do with the news that came out earlier today that Kawhi Leonard will miss the game and possibly the remainder of the playoffs in what could be an ACL issue, an injury he suffered late in game four. And this feels like the flip side of the Durant story. Whereas Durant, as of 24 hours ago, it was, yeah, yeah, analytics, blah, blah. But what about the tough games? What about the Superman spot? Well, he delivered. Kawhi, you heard a lot of, you know, a couple weeks ago when they were losing to Dallas, you heard this was the guy we thought was one of the best players in the NBA not that long ago. What were we thinking to... Game six was maybe one of the best games we've ever seen from a player to a number of real strong performances against Utah. But now Mr. Load Management is hurt. Now, is this a coincidence? You know, that's the thing about injury is you could say, oh, Jordan never got hurt after his second year. How much of that is luck? I don't know, but boy, Kawhi certainly feels fragile. And that's one of the things about the NBA playoffs. You've got to win four series. 
and you got to win 16 games. And it's it's grueling. It really it kind of explains why load management in January and February makes sense. But even with that, Kawhi doesn't look like he's going to be able to make it through. And if you look at the odds, Jonas, the odds say that he's not coming back. Right now, to win the series, the Clippers are plus 275. Now, what's amazing is we had, and this is a nice opportunity, we had the odds after game four with Kawhi assuming he was healthy. And now we have the odds before game five. So it's really the same situation. It was tied 2-2 right after game four. Utah was minus 125. Right, so just smidge over 50% the Jazz were, assuming Kawhi was healthy. Now, without Kawhi being healthy, no games played, Utah is minus 315. Wow. So it went from about 53% to 75% Utah. That's the difference Kawhi makes. One player makes. So when we come back, we'll get into the game itself and make the case of how many points did the line adjust without Kawhi. Like we said, it was a historic number. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Right out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. And R.J., we've been talking about the huge Game 5 coming up later on tonight between the Clippers and the Jazz. No Kawhi Leonard dealing with that knee issue. It's a 10 p.m. Eastern time tip on TNT. And as we mentioned, the Utah Jazz, an eight-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Now, this line, before Kawhi was known to be out, and by all accounts, there was no sense he was going to be out. Because this line was lined up in a way we would expect with a healthy Kawhi, it was favored by two and a half. All right, so the Jazz were favored by two and a half. Now it's eight and a half. The greatest players in NBA history, MJ, LeBron, moved the line about six points. Well, two and a half to eight and a half is six points. Kawhi Leonard is being priced in this game like he's as good as any player that ever walked the earth. That seems like too much to me. Too much. Now, Paul George, without Kawhi this year with the Clippers, not great. Not great. Six wins and five losses. So six of 11, some would say. Six wins, five <laughs> losses. And he scored 26 points, seven and a half rebounds, five assists. You might say, hey, that fills up the stat sheet. 43% shooting. When a guy is the number two, it's so much easier than when he's the number one. 43% shooting is not going to cut it in Utah. Line, though, is eight and a half. If you think there's value, and by the way, I got a best bet coming up on the Philly game. A best bet impromptu. It hit me during the break how to get at it. But I like this game, but I'm not going to bet this game. But here's what I'll say. If you look at the Clippers plus 275 to win the series, that price assumes Kwai's out for the whole series. That's not for sure. Maybe that's even 90%. It feels like the kind of wink-wink is he's out for the series. 
But think of it like this. That price assumes this line is right. Eight, eight and a half is right. And it would stay that way the other couple games, though adjusting for home court. But if the Clippers win one of these games, one of these next two, so it forces the game seven, isn't Paul George more confident? Whatever chance Paul George has to have a good second win, I think it's bigger than his chance to have the first win because he doesn't know he can do it right now. But to win this series, he's got to do two. And if he does one, I think it increases the chance of doing the second, him having a big game a second time. Thus, if you like the Clippers, if you think there's been an overreaction to Kawhi, I would look at the Clippers plus 275 in the series because of that effect of once he wins one, it will be easier for Paul George to win a second. Let's go to the Philly game, though, because I do have a best bet on that. Yeah, and that's the first of the doubleheader later on tonight, actually tipping off less than an hour from now, 7.30 Eastern time on TNT. That series tied two games apiece between the Hawks and the Sixers. And right now on pregame.com, Philly, a seven and a half point favorite. So, Jonas, you don't sell too hard. We, talk, we always talk about that. <laughs> but wouldn't you say that me screaming from the rafters, why isn't B playing so much? Why is he playing so much? It, it really seemed to kind of be a good question when he came out seemingly hobbling in the second quarter of this most recent game, right? Why yeah. was he playing so much before? Yeah, it was a little puzzling. And now that you look and see that they're trying to say that, you know, the knee was the issue last game, which is why he struggled, it makes you wonder, well, why was he in there when he was when it wasn't necessary in other games? Yeah. Good yeah. question. I think it was what we were talking about, the narrative. He loved the idea of champion, you know. But again, stupid isn't really – when we think of courageous, we don't think of stupid. And it's stupid to be in a game when you have a bum knee that the game's decided already. Like, it wasn't game three. But this line is inexplicable to me. A seven-and-a-half-point line here is, if you think about it, the analogy would be game two, right? So game two was the last Philly home game, and Philly was off a loss. So they had to zigzag to their advantage, and Philly was favored by six. And Embiid's health wasn't a big question. But now Philly, with Embiid's health, a big question mark is seven-and-a-half? It doesn't make any sense. But you know what? I'm not falling in the trap. This feels like it's telling me, yeah, maybe Embiid's hobbled, but they got the Hawks figured out defensively. Because really, the Hawks didn't shoot very well at all and still won that last game. So I'm going with the under. The last game in which the Hawks were figured out, but Embiid was hobbled, went under by 22 points. And this totals as high as that one. So best bet. Best bet, not a pizza bet, RJ best bet on under Philly Atlanta. That's under 224 and a half in that game. If I had to play the game, I would lean Atlanta, but this price is too high to me. It's telling you they think Embiid's okay, so we're going under. If you missed any of today's show, including a look back at Kevin Durant's historic performance last night and a best bet in one of the two playoff games coming up later on tonight, you can check out the podcast at FoxSportsRadio.com. Just search straight out of Vegas. We are back tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern time, 3 o'clock Pacific, right here on Fox Sports Radio and every single weekday on the iHeartRadio app. Straight out of Vegas! 